The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Good morning. Let me... uh... Let me just tell you how grateful I am for the invitation to come and uh, to bring the word this morning. As Dr. Kim mentioned, I was a student here from 2000 to 2003, and it was a, a great blessing to me during the uh, time of the chapel hour to be able to be fed. And so I'm thankful to be able to help us for a few minutes uh, dive into God's word during our time here. A few years ago, I had the privilege of preaching through the Psalms of Ascent and found that to be a a real joy and privilege for me. And so today I wanted to take one of the short uh, Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 131, actually one of the shortest ones. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn there. Am I correct that I have 20 minutes, Dr. Kim? Is that correct? Uh, So turn to Psalm 131 and listen as I read. This is God's Word. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And today we pray that it would do its work in us by your spirit. We pray that you would strengthen and encourage our hearts. Show us uh, your gospel and your son's glory, even as we study in this text. In Jesus' name, amen. As I read this text, I'm reminded that everyone everyone is different. Some people are by nature very calm quiet, others are boisterous and loud, some are shy and introverted, some uh, seem like they have no major swings of emotion, they're back and forth, and uh, while everyone's different, there are uh, points at which we read God's word when there's a temptation potentially for us to think uh, that it makes sense for one person's personality type over another, such as Psalm 131, where it speaks about being calm and quiet. And for the gregarious person, might read this and think that sounds a little unusual. Uh, but, but everyone in this room is different. God has assembled a, even a group here on this campus. I was privileged to be able to enjoy the differing personalities of our faculty here. And uh, oh, I could go into it and talk about the differences I experienced with your professors that I sat under, although I might get my diploma taken away if I go too far here today. But we did spend some time talking about how each of the professors seemed to reflect characters of the Lord of the Rings. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but we did this for a while. And uh, it, w- it, was, uh, it helped us a lot. I mean, Dr. Van Drunen was a classic Legolas character. He was... The, the noble elf that was deadly with his bow. I mean, that was his golf clubs, of course, but he was deadly. Um, of course, Hal Jones, you know, had to be Gimli because of the accent, of course. And uh, I could go on and on. Dr. Horton was a great ring bearer for us. And um, 
we couldn't decide whether Dr. Ba or Dr. Godfrey should be Samwise Gamgee, um, both fiercely loyal, and uh, I'm pretty sure either of them could carry Dr. Horton if necessary. And so, um, I could go on, and, and I, I know that somewhere they're trying to dig up my diploma, so I'll stop. Uh, but we are all different. Every one of us has a different personality. And what's amazing is that in Psalm 131, it's given to us as something that is supposed to apply to every believer, whether you're a new Christian or you are a veteran who's walked with the Lord for years, whether you're a grandparent or a child, whether you're a quiet introvert or, a, or an outgoing gregarious type, you're a melancholy or you're an, you're an eight personality executive, a mile a minute New Yorker or whatever you are, on the surface, it's, it might sound like the psalm is designed for the quiet, reflective type. But actually, it describes not a personality type, but a spiritual condition of the soul that's actually worked in us through training, through years of God's gracious work. It's a condition of the soul that the gospel is working in those who love Christ. And so... What I want to do today is I want to look at this song for just a moment and see the condition that it speaks of, the process that it speaks of to get there, and really the source of how the change happens, those three things. And so we're going to talk about this quiet, humble heart and of the process that God takes us through of becoming one who is able to say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I do not occupy myself with things too great for me. How is that possible? Perhaps a question to ask yourself is, is the activity of my heart and soul full of noise and distraction and frustration with perhaps even the plan of God that's unfolding in your life? That's really what Psalm 131 is speaking of. Now, just real briefly, Psalm 131 is in the midst of the Psalms of Ascent, 120 to 134, uh, most likely describe uh, the, the, the activity of the people of Israel as they traveled on pilgrimage to temple for uh, the, the feast days, the annual feasts such as Passover and Pentecost and that sort of thing. And so in that sense, these songs were sung, they were used for the, for the, for the, for the travel, and for that, we see that they are for weary pilgrims. And all of these psalms are about the journey from the wilderness to the place where God dwells. And that's so relevant for us. And even more narrowly, Psalm 130 and 131 are very closely related. The psalm writer in Psalm 130 is crying out of the depths. And there's a, an exact uh, sort of... Uh, parallel in verse 7 of chapter of 130. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And then in Psalm 131 at the end, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So they're connected. The, the person in Psalm 130 is coming to, to grips with their own sin. If you should mark iniquities, who would stand? And Psalm 131 is the person who is come to grips with redemption that God provides, is now seeking to let that sink into their hearts. And so these three things that I want you to see today describe this work. First, the result, the, the humble heart that you see in here. Look at Psalm 
131, verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high, and I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. This, these words, look at the superscription. These words are written by David, King David, which is fascinating to me, that he's able to say, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. This is something that it seems that he has learned. He's reflecting on a lesson. Perhaps, I, I don't think it's a lesson that he fully learned and then he was done because at different periods in his life, he himself had times when it seemed that he got it and other times when he struggled. David wasn't always the picture of this trust and humility, uh, my eyes not being raised too high. You hear in this, uh, this evidence of humility, but it, even in his young life, in 2 Samuel 17, for example, uh, his brother accused him of pride and presumption when he came down to see the battle. I think my reference there is wrong on 2 Samuel. Uh, but he came down to see the battle, and what did his brother say? I know why you've come down. You just want to see the, the battle. And of course, we, we know that there were other things going on in David's uh, design with this and God's purpose, and yet is it possible that Pride and arrogance might have even been, at times, a struggle for David. He was a man who was a fierce warrior, a brilliant strategist, an, an epic artist. He was a poet and a songwriter, a skilled leader. At some point in his life, he no doubt struggled with pride and arrogance. And there's another time. You think of 2 Samuel 24, when uh, Joab... And David are there, and he says to Joab, Go through the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people, and I may know the number of the people. Here's a moment when it's evident that David is, is not calmed and quiet in his soul. He is consumed with self-sufficiency in that moment. And that is, that is the problem that the psalm is really addressing, isn't it? We can be consumed with pride and self-sufficiency. I have calmed and quieted my soul. I do not occupy with myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. See, the psalmist here is reflecting on the fact that he knows his place. He knows that the place of pride and arrogance leads to spiritual uh, instability in his life. And so... Not just pride internally, but even arrogance. My eyes are not lifted, raised too high, even looking down on others. And so it manifests itself in relationships as well for the psalmist. And uh, there's this inward state of the heart, and it manifests itself towards others. But he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous, even with regards to things like ambition. He knows who is on the throne of the universe as he says those words. And think of this as, again, David, the king of the most powerful nation at that time. And he's saying, I know my place. I will not walk in the wrong circles. Charles Spurgeon once said, as big as men may account themselves to be uh, because of their ancestors, we all trace our line up to a gardener who lost his place through stealing his master's fruit. And so, 
you look at this and you think there is a, there is a, a sense in which God here has worked in his heart so that he knows that he is God and uh, that God is in, on his throne and I am not. And so, of course, some have taken this and said, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Some have, have taken such words and said we shouldn't study the deep things of theology or something like that. And I don't think that's at all what's going on here. I think this is someone who is learning to not kick against the sovereignty of God in their life. And this is not an unbroken condition. David did get it at times. Remember when he is in the cave and he has the moment of opportunity to be able to take Saul's life. And he withholds. His men say, this is your chance. Kill him. Take the throne. How long had David been waiting? Waiting after the, the, the knowledge that he was going to be king. And now he's running for his life, hiding in, his, in a cave. And he's able, in the spirit of this psalm, to be able to say, I know my place. I am not there yet. I am not yet on the throne. So I will not reach out my hand and take what God has not given me until the time is right and he places it in my hands. He knew his place. He knew God's timeline was, was unknown to him, but God was working. So it, something has changed in him. Now let's talk about the process of getting there. Look at what it says in verse 2. The result is this calm, this quiet, this humility. But he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, I don't know how many of you are married or how many of you have children. I have three kids under the age of 11. And three times I have watched the weaning process. And uh, it is not a pleasant experience in my household when my children went through this process of being weaned from their mother. Uh, think about, just in your mind for a moment, think about a child before they are weaned, if you're a mom, if they are weaned on your lap uh, and they're hungry and not being nursed. And now think about that same child on your lap after they have been weaned. And the, the difference is remarkable. There is, now, there may still be crying for food, but the source of that food is different. The process, though, is what's being described here. I am someone, he says, who is like a child who has gone through the process of being weaned. I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, able to sit with its mother and not gr grasp to seek what is not mine anymore. Now, add the Hebrew ancient culture onto this, where uh, weaning did not happen until age four or five. <laughs> and weaning was much more difficult. The child is able to argue in much more cogent ways, even at four and five. So this image is there for our relationship with God to think about what the process of becoming a person who increasingly trusts God, what that looks like, where God removes some of the pride, gradually some of the ambition, some of the demanding and struggle and independency. It is a painful process. It's why Paul said in Philippians, I have learned the secret 
of being content. One of my favorite preachers, James Boyce, says it this way. He says, uh, when David says his soul is like a weaned child, he's not saying that he has always been content with God or even merely that he is content with God now. He is reflecting on the difficult weaning process in which a child is broken of its dependence on its mother's milk and is taught to take other foods. And it's usually accomplished by resistance, struggle, even hot tears, angry accusing glances, and fierce temper tantrums, and it's difficult for the mother. But weaning is necessary for the child to mature. You see, before David was weaned, uh, David wanted God for what he could get from God. But when he began to learn that God's sovereignty, God's love, God's plan was working in his life, and as he learned that gradually through all the frustrations and difficulty and questions and even anger in his life, as you hear in the Psalms the, some, of the, some of the struggles that he speaks about, he becomes slowly a man who is learning to submit to the sovereign plan of God in his life. And now he loves God for himself and not for what God can give him. Is that something that you have learned or are learning? To love God, not for what he can give you, not for, not for just the, the good gifts, but because of God himself? The process of becoming a man of God, a woman of God, a boy or girl that is mature in Christ is someone who has let the gospel come into into their heart in such a way that forgiveness and love and grace secured at the cross so that in a difficult circumstance you are able to say, I actually don't know what's going on here, God. I don't understand the answers, but I don't need to occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous, things that you have not revealed to me. You haven't told me why this is happening, this particular frustration. Why is it that I've lost my job? Why is it that we can't get pregnant? Why is it that I'm suffering affliction in my body? You could fill in the blank with whatever it is going on in your life. And I don't know the answer to that, God. But I do know that you are my hope. And that's the last thing that you see in this. And that's really the source of this. Take a look at the last verse. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You see, King David now looks around to his brothers and sisters in the faith and says, Learn from me. Hope in the Lord, O Israel. Hope is not found. The ability to be content in, the, in not knowing why God is doing what he's doing. The ability to have that is not found in just mustering up contentment from nowhere. Hope is not found in meditation on, uh, as, as an exercise that I just have to rigorously practice in my life. And ascetic self-denial. And, and you can name the list of, of religious activities in which you can engage. Hope here is found in the Lord. Hope is found in a person. O Israel, hope in the Lord. A thousand years later, David's greater son would show us what that meant. When you could update the heading here. A psalm of a sense of Jesus. And you could see the inner workings of the heart of the Lord Jesus, whose heart was content with his Father's will, who had calmed and quieted his soul. Even in the garden, when he was able to say in that moment, if it's possible that this cup should be taken with me from me, Lord, let it be so, but if not, my, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was the one 
who truly calmed himself before the will of his heavenly father, who was able to cry out to his God and know that the cup that he'd been given, he himself was able to say, shall I not drink it? Because it's my father's will. If you're like me, you're running a thousand miles an hour and you find stillness of soul elusive. When this says, hope in the Lord, it's showing us that the problem is, is that we, by nature, are, are people who live with this inward noise instead of inward quiet. Because we have a thousand things competing for our attention and a thousand questions as to why God does what he does. And yet he says, hope in the Lord, not in the change of circumstances. David's circumstances were slow to change. Your circumstances might never change. The diagnosis of an illness might never go away. The circumstances of life might be there for the long haul. Just this morning we were studying Daniel in our men's Bible study and talking about why this apocalyptic literature is given to give hope to people who looked like things were not going to change in their lifetime. And how do we deal with that? How do we have the stillness of soul? Hope is found in the Lord. Think of it. When Jesus says, come to me, in Matthew chapter 11, this is where we'll finish. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest on a mother's lap here is the rest of someone who is no longer demanding from God, not seeking God on your own terms. My terms would be, God, I will do this for you, and you will do this for me. But Jesus says, come to me and find rest. You want that stillness, the ability to have that quiet, take that burden off of your back to try to produce it, because you will fail. Look to Jesus, who himself submitted it to the will of his Father, all the way to the cross to, pr- to pay for your own noise of soul, your discontent that you and I struggle with. And then, once you have given that to him, he will begin that lifelong process of calming and quieting, teaching you. And of course, the difficult part of this is, if you understand the language of weaning, this lifelong process will be one that is often painful that involves plucking out eyes and cutting off hands. It's a difficult process, but it is a process nonetheless that God says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take that burden off your back, rest in my grace, cease striving. Do you think I don't know what you need? This psalm is aimed directly at our hearts. God alone can quiet the struggles of your heart today. David shows us the lesson, learning to trust God and not ourselves. And no matter what your personality is like, even if you're that gregarious, outgoing, A-type personality, this inner condition of the soul, of quiet, can be yours as you turn and look to Christ and not to your own strength. And putting sin to death, you will see God gradually through fits and starts working the calmness and quietness of soul so that in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances, you might be able to say, I have found rest for my soul. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, how we thank you that you have uh, given us your work on the cross, sacrificing your life for us because we fail so regularly to submit ourselves. When you submitted yourself to the will of, the, of your Father, you did what we cannot do. And yet now we have power because we hope not in ourselves, not in our circumstances. We hope in our Lord. And we thank you today that with you is redemption, is forgiveness, and steadfast love. Let us be like those children who sit on their mother's lap and are able in quietness and calmness be able to submit sweetly to your will, whatever you bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.